Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 46 of the A1 Auto Body Podcast with me, your host, Nick Sands. Oh, I just knocked over my brother's name. Today I'm speaking with Lauren Weskey. Um, you may know her better as Slim Jimette on TikTok and Instagram, YouTube, everywhere you can find uh, content. She is a comedian and hip-hop artist um, who is an eight-year sober or a drug addict who's eight years sober. Um, today's episode gets really candid about um, kind of the things that she went through and also gets a little graphic. So if you're sensitive to those kinds of things, you may want to uh, sit this one out. I think most of you will find it very interesting. And I think uh, most of you realize just how um, powerful and, and strong Lauren is. I hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. And I'll see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the A1 Auto Body Podcast with me, your host, Nick Sands. Today, I'm actually talking to a very old and close friend of mine um, who I recently rediscovered with the power of the internet. Um, her name is Lauren Westgate, also known as Slim Jimette. Uh, she is a comedian and hip-hop artist who is mostly over on TikTok, but is, you can find her everywhere on the internet. Um, and she's blowing the fuck up right now, so you'll probably hear about her soon. How's it going, Lauren? Hi, it's going great. That was a hell of an introduction right there. <laughs> I know. Well, you got you got to live up to that. I was I put a lot of effort into that. Jeez, you're gonna be sweat over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't you kind of tell us what you do? Since I only gave a uh, a bit of a I only gave my own version, but why don't you give us the the lowdown on who you are. So yeah, um, my name is Lauren, and um, I basically the reason I'm here is because <laughs> I kind of blew up on TikTok within the last couple of months. Um, started as fun, and then I what really blew up was I posted this rap song that I had written when I was in rehab. Um, I am eight years clean, almost eight years clean from heroin this year. That's also part of my story. Um, but, yeah, so I blew up on TikTok, and uh, crazy things are popping off now. I don't even, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even know I, how to explain it. I should say that, so me and Lauren were, um, I considered her a very weak, or a very good friend when I was just out of high school. I think I was, like, 20, 22-ish. Um, and we actually worked next to each other at the rental car companies in the airport. I was working at Budget, and she was working at Enterprise. Alamo National. Oh, it, I'm sorry. You're right. What was it, National? Alamo National. I think Enterprise bought them out after, afterwards, but at the time, it was like a merge of Alamo National car rental. Wow, I just fucked up this story so bad. Okay, so you... <laughs> no, okay. it's everything else. I mean, you're on point with it. <laughs> <laughs> so backtrack, backtrack. I worked at Budget. You worked at Alamo National, and um, we—that's how we met, and we were friends for quite a while. And you always had the sweet. We used to actually come over to your booth at night on cold nights because you had the only booth in the whole place that was heated. <laughs> we thought we thought you guys were like you know, Budget was kind of like the uh, the lowbrow. You guys were like the super fancy. Uh, we were the Ritz Carlton over there at the car rental. 
You were. You were the Ritz Carlton of car rentals. You were the absolute. I wish I had thought of more fun sayings before uh, this podcast that I could think of. <laughs> um, so we kind of lost touch, and then we recently reconnected. Um, a big part of that is because you are like now internet famous on TikTok, <laughs> which is still. I know it must be getting weird because, like, you were saying, people are like trying to recognize you in, on the street and like in, and stuff. Like, someone came into your work and note and recognized you. Yeah, like these this couple came in and I was checking somebody else in and they're kind of standing off in the corner and I thought I heard the chick like whispering to her dude like blah 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 TikTok and in my head I'm like get over yourself, Laura, like that or not, you know? And then <laughs> they get up to the counter and the chick's like can I ask you a weird question? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I love weird questions. And she's like, are you on TikTok? And I'm like, oh. like my face, I know that, like I probably, I like almost started crying, passed out. I don't even know the emotions that I went through. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you're some Jeanette. And I was like, holy shit. I don't even know how to act right now. And she's like, she had like all this fam, all these family members with her, and so the whole time they were there, those two days, they're like, "Hey, Miss TikTok," you know, and it's it's just wild. My mom called me; she lives in Arkansas now, and she said she started a conversation with some lady, started talking about real estate, and going for a real estate license, and somehow my mom got into the fact that I was a rapper, and then I was on TikTok, and the chick's like, "Is your daughter Slim Jeanette?" And I'm like, "No fucking way! Like, there is no, this is not possible." This isn't happening. It's wild. It is just, I can't say that enough. It is wild. (laughs) Even though I think, so in that time that we didn't get to talk to each other, um, you know, some some things, you did become an addict, um, and I didn't actually find that out until later. But, you know, I, that's actually, I think your story and, and hearing your story um actually before you were on tiktok and stuff and that's actually the reason i wanted to talk to you way more than you know the tiktok stuff even though i'm glad to see you're doing so well um i think your story is so powerful um do you want to just kind of get into that a little bit i'm not really sure how to ask that question or how to get started i think it's probably best to just let you kind of tell your story yeah for sure um so like i said i'm an open book so um so basically, it's a long story short. Um, I you grew have up, a lot. We have as much time as you need, so feel free to talk okay. as much as you want. <laughs> My phone battery would die before we had time <laughs> to unturn all these pages. But but no, so, um, so my dad was in the Air Force, moved around a ton, started school in England. Um, and then my parents divorced when I was nine. And they had a real nasty custody battle. We went back and forth between Missouri and New Hampshire a few times, and it was it was ugly. It was messy, and we ended, I ended up with well, me and my sister ended up with my mom, um, and she moved us to Texas, which is where I live now. And um, basically, my sister didn't have a really good relationship with my mom. She ended up moving out. I think when she was like sixteen, and then me and my mom's relationship went super downhill. My mom 
had a lot going on, and we, we just had a really hard time. And um, I was always like a goody-goody. I was I was terrified to get in trouble. Like my my dad used to dress up as Mr. Mr. McGruff, the drug dog, and like come to to our schools and shit. You know, like <laughs> so I was always told like don't do drugs, just don't do them. But I was never told like why. You know, I was never really talked to about it. You know, and um. So I was having a lot of problems in high school. I was still making straight A's. I was top of my class. And my junior year, shit really hit the fan with my mom. And uh, I started smoking weed. And then the very next thing I did was meth. It was on the, the night wow. of my feet. Yeah. That's I had a big old jump. leap there. Um, <laughs> that is a jump.
And then when I finally, in high school, you know, I, in, where I live now is where I graduated from high school, and that was the longest I'd ever lived in one place for a period of time, and that was only four years. You know what I mean? So to me, it was like whoever I had gotten close with, whatever they were doing, it was like that's how I felt like I was home. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like I was just trying to find out who I was and I feel like so many issues at home also like I was going to school to escape. Like I liked going to school because I didn't have to be home. Um <laughs> and then you know, when I was home, I would like purposefully, you know, after my junior year, I would purposely get fucked up to go home because it was easier to deal with home if I was fucked up, but you know what I mean? So it just started this like pattern of thinking that I always needed to, to be doing something to feel different so that I didn't have to feel what I was used to feeling, if that makes sense. I think it makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. I also think, or I would think that, and this isn't to put words in your mouth, obviously, but like, like, if you smoke weed, like, it's probably easier to, like, to, like, find kids who smoke weed. You know what I mean? Like, you're already kind of part of that tribe. If you do meth, like, it's probably easier to find people who do meth. So, like, you can automatically find a group of people that you can connect with right away. Exactly. That You hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, when you're younger and you're moving around so much, like, it's kind of hard to find that common denominator, you know, like, quickly. But, you know, when you're older, like, 16, 17, you're like, okay, I noticed you smoke pot. So... I do now, so we can hang, you know, like, we have something in common, so, and for whatever reason, like, I just, I think I gravitated towards people that were also having hella issues at home, you know, I think that's another common denominator, we kind of end up finding each other, and don't necessarily feed off of each other in the best manner, but, you know, it is what it is at the time. I think a lot of people have that, though, and they just, I think a lot of people may not deal with it in in ways, you know, that are quite as destructive. But I think that there are people who, you know, they have issues at home and, and rather than go home, they want to join the track team. And they, rather than go home, they want to become the best. They want to train all the time. They want to run track all the time. Um, For sure. And they become really good at running track, not because they love running, but because they don't want to go home. For sure. And I think another thing, too, like in retrospect is, the fact that my dad did dress up as Mr. McGruff and you know my mom did put on this when I was younger at least this facade that we were like the perfect family you know before they got divorced so then I guess it was just like a, an act of rebellion I'm like you know you told me not to do drugs fuck you I'm gonna do it you know like <laughs> I'm just gonna do it because you told me I couldn't all this time and you know I, I don't feel like we had very good open discussions um growing up like I was kind of just told how I was supposed to supposed to be I guess and so I think that's why I'm so fucking out there now because I'm just like I'm gonna fly I'm gonna let my freak fly freak flag fly you know what I mean <laughs> I've always been a weirdo so <laughs> and that's probably why we were friends <laughs> um so you you graduated from school and then what happened oh yeah um <clears throat> So graduated from school, um, I it went really downhill from there because I, I just moved out of my mom's house. I literally had everything I owned in the world in my vehicle and 
I'm just kind of hopping around. Um, and then <laughs> so one night I'm at a party, and, you know, I had kind of cut off ties with my mom, but not fully. And uh, somebody had offered me some ecstasy, so I took it. And so I'm feeling, feeling good. I'm loving everybody. And my mom calls me, and she's like, hey, I'm moving to Arkansas. Do you want to move with me? And in that moment, I was literally homeless. I was living in a car, and I I agreed. I'm like, yeah, I'll go to, I'll go to Arkansas with you. So I literally moved to Arkansas with her. And uh, I was there for a few months. I'm saving up money to move out of her house. My sister is getting married down here in Texas. Uh, me and my mom are supposed to drive to Texas together. Night before the wedding, my mom decides she's not going to go because my dad's going. And so I had to basically use all that money that I had saved up to move out of her house to get to my sister's wedding, stay at the hotel for a week. I get back to Arkansas after spending everything that I had. And my mom literally packed up all her shit and left me in Arkansas. Like, she moved back to Texas, but she fucking left my ass in Arkansas. And at that time, like, when I had moved to Arkansas, I was doing really good. Like, I wasn't doing any hard – I mean, I was smoking weed, but I wasn't doing any hard drugs, you know. I I went to work, and I smoked a little weed, but that was it. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then she left me there, and that fucking threw me for a loop, so – Ended up staying with my boss for a couple weeks so I could save up money to move out down to Texas and uh, started working at this place where everybody that worked there did mess. So that wasn't probably the best fit. Uh, <laughs> so, or maybe know, it was the best fit. You know, depending on how you look at it. it um, but no, so that started that. Um, I met my boyfriend at the time. Um, Adam, which who I was dating when I moved to New Hampshire. So I'm pretty sure I actually did he ever live in New Hampshire? No, he came up to visit. Um so with the, okay, so after my mom had left me in New Hampshire, I mean in um Arkansas, I moved back to Texas. I was there for a while. I met Adam and then I got arrested for possession of marijuana. My parents are from New Hampshire. They they lived there at the time. So my dad offered basically for me to come live with them. Uh, originally, it was to you know to do my probation or whatever, so I could get out of trouble because my dad knew I was getting into some shit. And um, so I moved to New Hampshire. Me and Adam did the long distance thing there. So you know, while I was in New Hampshire, I definitely smoked weed. Uh, definitely did some cocaine. Um, but it was I don't know it's. It was different at that time. I mean, obviously, I was still doing drugs. Obviously, I had a, an issue with drugs, but I don't know. I can say it from did. my perspective, um, like at that time, yeah, you smoked weed, um, and and you did like, you, but it didn't seem like it was out of control. It looked, it seemed like you were, like you, those drugs you did, you were just doing it more to have fun than it was like. Like, yeah. you never seemed to me like you were out of control. And we spent a lot of time together. Like, I feel like I would have noticed. Yeah, for sure. Back then, it was definitely more for fun. It wasn't, um, like, I, I didn't feel like I needed it. It was just, I, once again, I had kind of attracted myself to that crowd. And, you know, I still, I'm still friends with those people dearly, you know. But, um, 
I don't know, it was definitely more of just recreational and fun at that point. And it wasn't until I moved uh, back to Texas that it, I keep saying it went downhill, like I'm like in the the depths of a valley at this point, you know? When I came back from New Hampshire, me and Adam dated for a few more years, and Adam and I did a lot of drugs together. And um, he, oddly enough, although we were really bad for each other in the sense that we were doing a lot of drugs together, like, he is probably one of the most important people in my life because he helped me through some, like, shit, you know what I mean? Him and his mom, like, I, I can't, I'm forever indebted to those people for just, sticking by me at my literal worst, you know, like giving me a place to stay, giving me food to eat, like just no judgment, you know. Um, but when me and Adam broke up, finally, I broke up with him. We, I, I realized finally, like it was, it was just, just a mess. Um, and I went wild. Like I, um, man, I just, I started drinking a lot. I would do anything every. Uh, huh? Mind if I interrupt you for a second? I just want to. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what like, what was your mindset at this point? Like, I mean, obviously you probably could see that things weren't going great. Mm-hmm. But or maybe you couldn't. I'm not. I don't know. But like, what was the mindset? How were you like justifying this to yourself? I just think, you know, maybe someone who might be in a similar situation, like how would they recognize, recognize that, that they were going through this? Yeah. So, um, I definitely knew, I definitely would not, I I would not admit it to myself or anybody else at that time, but I definitely knew that like I partied harder than most people and not like, you know, like there was never a limit for me. It was like, I was, like, the the person at the party that would do anything, you know, because I was just, like, fuck it, like, you know, let's let's do this, like, I, I mean, we the shit that I have done, legal, illegal, like, it's, it's wild, and I'm, like, who the fuck was that, like, because now I, I don't even, I can't even fathom doing <laughs> the shit that I do, I mean, I'm talking, like, breaking into, like, hotels that were being built to, like, party on rooftops, like, just just driving drunk all the time, like, thank God I never, like, I, I don't know what I would do, you know, had I ever hurt anyone else, you know, I didn't care about myself at the time, but I was not in the right state of mind to think that I could potentially hurt somebody else, you know, but I just, I knew something was wrong, but I I couldn't admit it. And I would justify it like I still had a job. I still paid my rent, like, barely. You know, I still had a car. So in my head I thought if I still have all these things, I can do whatever else I want because I'm I'm maintaining, you know. But, like, I didn't see at the time, like, I was drifting away from my family. Like, I wasn't eating. I was just fucking eating drugs. You know, it's like. Eating drugs? Huh? <laughs> just the just the the visual eating drugs when you said that. Kind of spoonful. No, not really. Have you heard me? <laughs> but no, yeah, I just 
I don't know, I guess I justified it as because I was able to somewhat maintain this sense of normalcy to the outside because I was hella good at making it seem to other people that didn't really know that I was okay. Like, they definitely knew I liked to party, but I don't think they had any idea to what extent at that point that I was just, like, literally any and everything. It was, it was bad. But well, at that time, I hadn't done heroin. See, that's the funny part. I mean, it's not funny at all. <laughs> I mean, it's, when you're telling it now, like, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's funny to... I don't know. It's like it's kind of shocking, to be honest. Yeah. It's like to hear. No, it's like I said. It's like I'm talking about somebody that I don't even know because morally, like who I am now, just like as a as a woman, as a mother, as like a person, I'm just like those things are like those will go to the grave with me as like just oh my god, who was that? Like how you know? I don't know. Well, people under the age of like 25 have zero impulse control. They're like the the part of your brain that controls impulse control does doesn't even exist yet. Well, that's for damn sure. Cause my I can't shit... remember. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but there's like a piece of your brain that doesn't come in until you're like almost 25 years old. Boy, well, that makes me feel a little bit better, actually. <laughs> like, so you were saying like. Okay. When you were saying how, like, you were breaking into hotels and stuff, like, I, I used to do that stuff. I didn't even drink. I didn't even do drugs. You were sober as fuck like, doing it. <laughs> there's, like, that feeling of being invincible when you're a kid, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. The, so you hadn't tried heroin yet, and things were had been going downhill. You just left New Hampshire. Yeah, so... um <clears throat> I get back to Texas, you know, I break up with Adam, um, and I get in, I, I meet I meet another group of people, um, and for for his sake, I'm not going to mention this name, um, but I became very, very good friends with a guy, um, and again, we did tons of drugs together, but both of us had never tried heroin, and we had had many conversations about it, because we were like we we both we both knew that we would like it too much. Like that's so fucked up. Like we're like we know how much we like drugs, and I've heard some things about this heroin, so we probably shouldn't try that one because I hear it's hella addictive, you know. And so we had like made this agreement basically that we weren't gonna do this one drug. Um, and so we we had rented this apartment together, me and him. And I was dating this guy, this other guy at the time, and <clears throat> I go to this guy's house one night, and he, uh, he's like, hey, have you ever tried heroin? And I'm like, fuck no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I threw everything else in the book, but heroin was like, oh, my God, you know? <laughs> and uh, he's like, just try it, just, you know, snort just a little bit. Like, I'm not talking about shooting, but, like, just snort just a little bit. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I fucking got sick as fuck. I started throwing up. Like, it was horrible, horrible. And so... I go home to my apartment the next day with with my best friend, and I walk in, and there's, like, a mirror on the coffee table, and it looks like he'd been doing coke the night before, which was not out of, you know, not abnormal. But he wasn't awake. He was asleep. And so I'm like, wait a minute. You know, you should be awake <laughs> if you need to go to And, um... <laughs> You're just so doing he, over math in your head? You're like, wait <laughs> a minute. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So he, like... He wakes 
and I'm like, did you, like, party last night? And he's like, uh, you know, kind of. And I'm like, what do you mean kind of? So basically, in the fucking weird universe that we live in, we had both done heroin the same night with different people without knowing each other was doing it. And from that day forward, it was, I mean, that was it. That was the rest for both of us. Like, he, I dated the guy that I had tried it with for, like, a couple more weeks, and then I I was over it. So, um, but my friend at the time, he was, in, he was friends with the dealer. And so, for, like, the first couple weeks, the dealer was coming over, and we were doing it with ecstasy. We were mixing it. And I remember them telling me, like, you can do it for a couple of days in a row, but then you have to take a break. Like, you know, if you do it like four or five days, you're going to get sick when you don't have it. And I'm like, whatever, you know, like I've been, been doing drugs for years, you know, and, uh, sure as shit, man, like <clears throat> did it for like a week straight, decided to take a break. I take a little nap. I wake up sick as a dog. And my dumbass thinks I have like the flu or a stomach virus. So I go to the emergency room, and at that time I had just been snorting it. So I don't have I don't have track marks, you know. I look pretty, pretty normal, and um, they freaking give me an IV of Dilaudid. And the second it hit me, I I instantly felt better, and that's when I realized I was like, oh my god, I was fucking dope sick. Like, what did fuck. they give you? A, what did they give you an IV of? A Dilaudid. What's it's that? It's like a really powerful painkiller. Because I was having stomach cramps from throwing up. So they just, because, I think it was because I looked like, you know, I just, I didn't look like I was doing heroin, you know. So I think they honestly thought I had just stomach bug too. So they just fucking give, give me an IV of Dilaudid. Like that was the first thing that they did for me. And it, it cured cured my sickness. And so, of course, I don't tell them that, oh, this is dope sickness, you know. Um <laughs> But I knew instantly, and so from then on, it was like I literally, from, literally from that day forward, I I snorted it daily for like two years. I, and I have a couple of questions. Yeah. The the first one is I noticed not just with you, but with a lot of people um, in my own life, and like a lot of my own friends and stuff. It seems like a lot of these, like addictions and, and drugs in general are tied to like another person. Like it's, it's almost always seems like it's tied to a relationship. Like people are almost in like this um, like dependency with one another while they're also, you know, in this dependency of drugs. Is there a reason for that? Or is it just how it is? Is it just like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think the way that like a drug addiction affects your brain or like your brain basically I don't know. I, I worded that wrong, but I feel like people that are attracted to doing drugs are are trying to fill a void. I know that sounds cliche, but they're trying to find something to like fill whatever is empty. So you don't. It's not fun to just do drugs by yourself, you know. So you find someone that is just as fucked as you are to kind of fill that void with you while you're while you're doing drugs. I don't know. It seems like it's like a bonding thing, you know? It's so twisted and fucked up, but... It almost it does. Because, like, like, you see that a lot. Like, I've, I've, like, it, it, like, you never hear about, like, 
two dudes who are just best friends and they're doing fucking heroin together. You know what I mean? Like it almost always seems like it's like a like a relationship. Or I mean, I guess it could be two dudes, but it's never like just two buddies. You know what I mean? It's never two buddies with a heroin addiction who are just hanging out doing yeah, drugs. You know? For sure. And I mean, um, obviously, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with sex. I mean, drugs and sex go hand in hand a lot of times. So that also, I think, is you know, it, it all has to do with like this this bond that you feel that you have with someone, but nine times out of ten when you have that bond with them and it's drug-related, like, you don't really have a bond, you know? You don't really (laughs) know each other. You don't... I don't know. No, it makes sense. I mean, it it does make sense, like you were saying, like, you probably have, like, some kind of emptiness you're trying to to fill, and you probably, you know, when you feel like that, you probably don't want to be alone, you know what I mean? You probably... Or trying to it, it kind of helps you justify it too. Like, okay, well at least I'm not alone here doing it. You know, I got somebody else here. Yeah, that's you know? good too. I don't know. I guess my other my other question was, um, at this point, was there anything that could have stopped you? Like, is, looking back, is there any um, thing that could have prevented you from going down this this path um, that you, looking back now, you can see, but you couldn't see at the time. Um, I don't think so, actually. I think I was so stubborn and at that point so far gone. Because my parents, like a year before I actually went to rehab, had tried to do like an intervention on me. And I freaked out on them. I was like, fuck you. I don't have a problem, you know. Um, I still tried to make myself believe that I was normal, even though I was literally while in the intervention and withdrawing, I'm like getting sick, you know, but still I'm trying to sit there and tell them I don't have a problem that I'm like sweating profusely and need to throw up because I need to go snort a line of heroin. You know what I mean? Like so fucked up. Like your brain just doesn't work right. You know? Yeah. I guess that's kind of like the insidious nature of the drug is that it it makes it so that, you know, everything kind of bends around that as opposed to how it should be in reality where, where that needs to bend around, you know, personal relationships and family and, and having a life, you kind of go the other way and it infects you and you try to bend everything around that addiction. For sure. I mean, like I was even, um, before I had gone to rehab, my parents and my sister had started going to church and I was going to church with them on Sundays, like high out of my board. I was like, passing out in church but yeah but you know I was just I wasn't there for that I was there because it it looked I thought at the time it looked good that I was showing up to church but really I was making a damn fool of myself and I was proving to them more every Sunday that I was really in serious trouble you know and then uh like I said I, they had tried to do this intervention on me about a year before I actually went to rehab and after that is when I started shooting up. Um, <clears throat> my the, my friend that I was living with, basically I, me and him ended up, we blocked out everybody. It was just me and him for several years because once everybody found out, it, it, which is weird, it was like all these people we had done all these drugs with, as soon as they found out we were doing heroin, they cut us off. Like they were like, I don't want any fucking part of that, like except for our <laughs> dealer, you know. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, what the fuck? Like you, we were just blowing lines of coke like a couple weeks ago. What the fuck, you know? But I guess I, you know they they knew that obviously it was not going to end well, you know. So, um, 
yeah, we blocked out everybody. I, I didn't talk to my family. Like, I had no friends. I had started stealing. Um, I got arrested for theft. I got a DUI. I was breaking into cars to steal shit to pawn. Like, it was horrible. You, I was, you're, like, so clumsy. Or, like, like, you're clumsy and, like, you're tall. Like, you're six foot two yeah, or whatever. Oh. <laughs> Sneaking around, stealing stuff from cars. <laughs> For real, nobody wanted to come outside. They're probably like, the fucking boogeyman is outside. What the hell is that? Like, let them have whatever they want out of the car. That's freaky looking. All dressed in black, you know? Like, shit. But uh, it, was, it was it was horrible. Like, it was so bad. I don't even... It sounds... It, I mean, we're joking about it now, but it sounds like it probably... Not only is it... You know, was it probably horrible to be there, but you probably kind of felt like you didn't have anywhere to turn. Yeah, no, at that point, I was, um, you know, after I had freaked out on my family for trying to do the intervention, I felt like I couldn't turn to them. Um, I didn't have friends anymore. So at that point, it was like I was just depending on my friend, basically, and that was all I cared about. As long as we had drugs, that's literally all we cared about. It didn't, it, nothing else mattered. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was fucked up. And then it was like right before my birthday that year, 2012. <clears throat> and, uh, I had, we did have, we did have one other friend that did it. And this other friend comes over to my house and decides to put all of his in one shot, basically. And, uh, this is graphic. Um, but when he, when he, basically when he went to go shoot up, he hit an abscess. And when he pulled back, he pulled back pus, which, ruined the entire shot and this dude fucking slipped like he was a very large dude and he was docile like the sweetest guy but he fucking lost it and there I am like I'm not giving you any of my drugs you know and it was the next morning that I woke up and I was just like I I cannot do this anymore like I like I was in all sorts of legal trouble and I I had nothing anymore and I, I was like, fuck this. I can't, I can't do this anymore, you know? And so I remember texting my sister and I was like, hey, you know, I know we haven't talked in like a year, but I just wanted you to know that I finally realized I've got a problem. I'm going to go to rehab. And uh, I ended up going to the state-funded rehab for like a week and a half before I had my friend bring me heroin to rehab because I was going to be going to court the next week for theft. And I, in my fucked up head still, I thought, oh, I can get high one more time before I have to be on probation and do drug tests. Um, but he ended up bringing me the same amount that I had been used to doing, and I got fucked up. And they ended up kicking me out the day that my I was having a visitation with my family. And uh, my dad shows up, and I'm bawling, you know. And fucked up, he brought me my Bible that day. And I remember he hands me the Bible and he's, he sees that I'm crying. He comes and gives me a hug and then he's like, what's the matter, you know? And I'm like, you know, so-and-so brought me drugs last night. And I just remember he kind of let go of me and he was like, I'm bringing you to the homeless shelter. Like, this is it. This, we're done. I'm like, fuck, you know? And so I fucking lose it and packing up all my shit in the room and the nurse is there watching me, you know, making sure I'm not stealing people's shit and I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here. 
And so she took that as I was suicidal. And I didn't, I don't think that I was necessarily specifically suicidal at the time, but I definitely could, I could have easily made a very, you know, I wasn't okay. And uh, I ended up getting committed for three days to a mental institution. <laughs> uh, and that, that right there, uh, you know, out of everything else I've experienced in my life, that was the fucking scariest, most terrifying experience I've ever had, ever. Um, and I was in there when I was, my parents found this 12-month faith-based recovery program in Houston. And I was like, fucking sign me up. Like, I don't even care. I'll go anywhere at this point, you know. What was it about uh, the institution that was, what was it about the institution that, that freaked you out or was, was so scary? So, um, that, that particular institution is in San Antonio. And I mean, obviously I, I wasn't okay mentally at that time, but I think I was seeing more than some other people that were there. I think there were, there were people there that honestly needed serious, serious mental health. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were not getting it there. They were passing out medication, basically, to kind of sedate everybody, but not making sure that the people took their actual medication. So there was a lot of medication swapping inside of a psych ward, which you can only imagine how that. Yeah, it's like a like recipe. Uh, yeah, for disaster for sure. It was <laughs> there was a guy that they they he would follow me around. He would just kind of. Like, breathe on the back of my neck he wouldn't say anything but like he he didn't shower he would like go to the restroom in his pants like and they wouldn't do anything they would just let him follow me they um my first night there they were like make sure you put your underwear in your pillowcase because your roommate likes to steal underwear and I'm like the fuck you know and I remember they they came and drew my blood or tried to draw my blood in the middle of the night while I was passed out and I'm like yo, I'm an IV user, like, I need to tell you where you need to go, because you're not going to just find one, you know, so I mean, I woke up with band-aids and bruises, it was just, it was a really fucked up place, and I don't think it should be in operation, like, my parents were honestly, seriously, so close to suing them, like, it was horrible, like, it was really, 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 really bad. They were just coming and essentially stealing your blood from you at night? Yeah, yeah, um, they were giving me medication to help me sleep because I was detoxing, and so I was passed out. And they, yeah, in the literally the middle of the night, had come in and just stuck me. I can't. I mean, probably twenty times. I mean, I had my entire, both my arms were just covered in bruises from them trying to draw blood for me. Like I, you know, it was it was fucked. Like it was it was a fucked place. Yeah, that sounds. I mean. And, like, I know, you know, historically speaking, mental institutions haven't been the best, but I feel like we expect them to be a little bit better now. It's, it's uh, yeah, it was, such, a, such a vulnerable population because nobody's going to believe them. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's you know, that's where I was at when I got out. You know, I'm like, I know that I am I'm, I have a drug problem, but, the, I mean, I felt for these people. You know, they were just – they would just let them walk around all day. Like, they weren't getting any kind of help whatsoever like there was no they were just stuck in a room with the other people all day and just left to their own devices and 
medicated off other people's medications. Like, it was fucked up. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is, I can see how that might scare somebody. <laughs> yeah, like, I remember I was on the phone with the intake coordinator for the rehab I ended up at. And the guy, the, actually, the guy that would follow me around and breathe on me, there was, like, this table. It was this enormous table that should take, like, ten grown-ass men to pick up. And this dude, I'm on the phone trying to do this interview, and he just fucking picks this table up by him, by his fucking self, bro. Like, I can't I have this picture forever burned into my memory. He just throws it at the nurse's station. And I remember being on the phone just like, please. Like, I'm begging you to let me into this rehab. Like, I never want to go to rehab so bad. Please, let me in. What if they just set that up just to just to scare you into going to rehab? You ever think about that? It fucking works. Shit. Imagine if your parents, like, paid a bunch of people to, like, set up this fake <laughs> mental institution just to scare you into going to rehab. <laughs> that would be the biggest flex ever. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the biggest flex ever. <laughs> Your dad with all his Air Force contacts just like called up, like, yo, I need a I need a place in Texas. <laughs> oh my god. No. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, make sure you stand behind her and breathe a lot. <laughs> breathe and smell smell real bad. As bad as you can smell. You gotta, smell your bad. only goal is to smell real bad and breathe real loud. Yeah. Uh-huh. Throw a table. Really freak her out. <laughs> give her the give her the razzle dazzle. <laughs> um Wow. Yeah, no, that is, that is super intense. And is there like, um, when you were, this might be a weird question, but again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the majority of people listening to this probably have never done heroin. What is it about heroin that, like, what does it feel like? Like, what is it that makes it so that you want it so bad, I guess? So like, what is it that keeps drawing you back to it? So the best description I've ever heard, because it's it's a very hard thing to describe, but the best description I've ever heard. So, and this more applies to when you're shooting it up, because when I was snorting it, it it just, um, you instantly feel just relaxed. Your body is never felt better. You just, everything... Everything just feels good. Um, like I said, I don't really know how to how to describe it, but as far as shooting it up goes, the best description I've heard is it as soon as it hits your veins, it's literally as if someone is is pouring like a warm honey <laughs> over you. It just it literally goes from the top of your head, just slowly all through your body, like you can feel it and. Your body just—I don't—I don't even know. It is literally—I hate to say it—but it's literally the best feeling in the <laughs> world. And once you feel it, that's—I mean, it's over. And that's why nobody should ever fucking try it. Not even one time. I should have known the first time because a lot of people actually get sick the first time too, which is interesting. Like I did, and for whatever reason, they go back to it, try it a second time, and that's—that's that's the one that gets them. But. Yeah. And and after like so I had a I've had a lot of friends who obviously I'm in New Hampshire which is like I'm sure you know is like the number one heroin place in uh the world. We were in a BBC documentary actually. Um 
And some of my friends who have recovered have told me afterward that, like, like that's how, like, you get that good feeling the first for a long time, but then after a while it stops going away. It's You stop getting that. Is that true? Oh, yeah, for sure. So you start doing more and more thinking <clears throat> that you're ever going to feel the, the way that it did the first time, and you will. it will never – it will never – that's what it is. That's what gets people hooked. If you do it that first time, and it's such an immensely incredible feeling that you want to feel that again, but you will never feel that again. So you keep – it's the case of the dragon. You're trying to feel what you felt that very first time, so you do more and more and more until your body is just hooked on it. And then it becomes this thing to where when you don't have it, it's the most excruciating thing on your body like I would never I couldn't wish detox from heroin on my worst enemy I don't care what they did to me I could never wish that on someone I wasn't normal like after I after my very last shot December 9th 2012 I was not I couldn't sleep eat for like a month and a half easily like I was like a zombie my body hurt like everything hurt I was hot and cold at the same time I couldn't eat anything I couldn't drink I had zero energy it was fucking awful like it was awful detox from heroin is the worst thing anyone could ever experience especially I mean it must have been even worse considering where the location you were yeah yeah (laughs) that that definitely didn't help and I and I did it cold turkey and What's crazy, actually, is uh, I had, um, before, let me see, before I had had gone to the first rehab, I was detoxing, and I had gone from, like, doing, like, three and a half grams a day, which is a fucking ridiculous amount, and I was getting really good shit, and (laughs) I detoxed for, like, three days, and then I, I, I literally, I was probably on the verge of death. My sister ended up taking me to the emergency room. And they were asking me, like, how much do you use? And, and they were, like, shocked. Like, I remember them bringing in these people, like, how much did you, like, how the fuck are you even alive? You know, but when you, when you just, you build up this tolerance, like, you can build it up to an insane amount, you know? Right. And so I went from doing three and a half grams of really good shit a day to nothing. So, I mean, I fucking detoxed as hard as a human possibly could. Like, I, I had the option to take Suboxone, which is, uh, if people don't know, it's like, um, it's a patch. I think you can take it in a pill form, too. But it helps with the withdrawal symptoms from opiates. Um, and I chose against that because I had known several people that had gone on Suboxone, and because they didn't feel the withdrawal symptoms, they went back to it because, honestly, the withdrawal among other things, is the main. That's the main thing, honestly, that makes me not want to go back. Because I, I can never forget how, I, I, I wanted to die when I was detoxing. It was that bad. Like, like taking me the fuck out because it was horrible. And what, the, what does it feel like? Like, I know you said you're hot and cold at the same time. Like, you have no energy. Is there like, um, you know, I, I had someone describe it to me once that it just was like restless. Like, if you've ever had restless leg syndrome, but like kicked up to like a million. No, so what, that's crazy that you say that. So I had, um, after I had gone out of the emergency room, I went to my parents' house for like two days before I'd gone to the first rehab, and they had new sheets on their bed that were kind of like rough, you know, and 
So I had been laying in bed, just trying, tossing and turning, trying to sleep, and I had been laying on my stomach. And I was so fucked up, I didn't realize, but, like, the insides of my knees got, like, scabbed, like carpet burn, almost. And when I went to the first rehab, they do, like, a, you know, lady checkup. And I remember being in, being in the stirrups, and the guy was, like, <laughs> got all serious, and he was like, have you been sexually assaulted? And I was like, oh, no, you know. And he asked me about my knees, and I hadn't even noticed the scabs. And I was like, holy shit. And then I put two and two together, and I was like, I think that's for my parents' sheets. Like, I've just been trying to sleep, and I can't sleep. And it's, oh, it's awful. It's, I would I would have a child ten times in a row without an epidural before I ever, <laughs> before I ever did that. Oh, horrible. Horrible. And okay, some people so- die from it. I mean, you, your organs can just shut the fuck down, and you can die from just stopping like that, you know, so. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I thought heroin was one of the ones you that you couldn't die from when detoxing. No, you can. Your organs, when you're when you're that far into it, your organs, because that's what was happening, basically, that's how I ended up in the emergency room, because I, I knew something wasn't right, like, I, and they were like, yeah, it's pretty much you're kind of shutting down there, you know. Your organs are like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, they were like, we do not, we cannot do this without heroin, <laughs> you know. Holy shit, that's cr- uh, that's gotta be scary. Hell yeah, it was scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so you, so you got a you got a hold of the rehab place, um, and you, it's a twelve month program. Yep. So I went in um, December twentieth, twenty twelve, five days before Christmas. What's um, the name, name of the rehab it's, program? It's called Teen Challenge. Um, it started off with just being a teens facility, but obviously now they uh, help adults and stuff, but they've got campuses. The one I went to was in Houston, but they've got their, they're international. They've been around for like a long time. There's like gunshots going off or something. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> well, you live in Texas, so. I, I just, mean, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I I'm assume that was what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> Not usually right in town, but hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> Someone's probably trying to shut off their porch light with a gun. <laughs> it's the normal Texas stuff. I didn't want to get up off that rocking chair. <laughs> um, <laughs> we actually had. You know what's funny is we just had people launching fireworks off this like tonight, which is weird because huh. I don't know what happened. I think it's because so what happened up here is all the Fourth of July. Like, all the big fours of July events got canceled. Uh-huh. So all the fireworks places had, like, all these commercial-grade fireworks that they couldn't use, so they just ended up selling them. So, like, all summer, there's been people launching off, like, commercial-grade fireworks shows all over all over town. <laughs> it happens, like, every That could probably be super terrifying when you're not expecting fireworks to be going off, you know? Like, July 4th, you kind of expect it. August 1st, not so much. Yeah, no, I'm just kind of used to it now, I guess, but I, I was just thinking on the way... <laughs> On the way in here, I was like, oh, man, I hope that this doesn't ruin the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just, add, just add a little pizzazz to it, if anything. <laughs> the grand finale. Exactly. Uh, so what was that like going into that rehab facility? Um, so that was that was a trip, too. So um, like I didn't grow up going to church. We went to church on Easter and Christmas. 
Um, and like I said, I had been going to church when I was high before I'd gone to this rehab. So when I went there, I was kind of, I guess I've always believed in God, but I, I didn't know anything about him. Well, we'll just put it that way. And so I go to this place that's like overwhelmingly Christian, you know? And I mean, like the first day I remember we go to this crazy worship and everyone's raising their hands and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a cult. I'm in a cult <laughs> and I'm committed for the next 12 fucking months. Like I, oh God, help me, you know? <laughs> like I was freaked out and I stayed to myself because I was still, at that point I was still detoxing. Um, so I kind of stayed to myself and then uh, a couple weeks in I had this like, I don't know, revelation, if you will. And, uh, I just kind of started, I guess I just kind of gave myself an open mind and I started listening to what they were saying. And a lot of it, I was like, okay, you know, if this is, I was at that point, I was willing to try anything. I'm like, obviously what that, whatever the hell I was doing wasn't, wasn't working. So I might as well give this shit a shot, you know? And, um, and it, it, cliche as it may sound like it com- it completely changed my life we <clears throat> i i don't go to church as often as i would like to anymore and i don't you know read my bible as often as i would like but um i formed relationships in that place and learned things about myself in that place that's like priceless like i I don't think I could have learned those things outside of that facility. There was something there was something really special about the people that I was there with, the the coordinators, the teachers. It was it's exactly what I needed, you know. I I wouldn't have been successful at a 90-day program like in retrospect. I needed the 12 months. And it was like no smoking, no cussing. You get one cup of coffee a day. You get up at 6.30 in the morning, you have chores, you have a job, you, you know, like, they, they work you, you know, but literally, it's exactly what I needed, I needed to be away, because there was a facility in San Antonio, and my parents were like, no, you're going to Houston, because you don't need to be close to anything, because even though it was a 12-month program, I could have walked out at any time, like, they weren't keeping me there, um, Well, actually, I went to court like a month in for the theft. I had gotten my theft case, like, pushed back, and uh, I ended up getting court-ordered to finish because of that (laughs) and the DUI that I had at the time. So, you know, but at that point, I was already committed. I was like, yeah, I'm going to finish this. And then I ended up interning for two months um, and decided I wanted to come home. And, yeah, I got pregnant two months later. (laughs) I kind of feel like... I'm, th- I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I got pregnant two months out of a Christian rehab, but it was literally, it was the best thing that's ever happened. I think Elliot was put into my life to make sure I never go back to that life. That sounded like a, like, like a Jerry Springer episode. I got pregnant <laughs> two months out of, out of Christian rehab. Like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, so when you made, when you finally made that choice to like, this is it, that, it sounds like that was pretty much the choice you made like you said you could have left any time but you were more or less keeping yourself there yeah i think that's honestly uh what recovery boils down to you have to uh, i've had a lot of people ask me like what are 
what's your what's your key to success, you know, or whatever. And honestly, it, it boils down to you just have to make the decision to not do it. You know, I had gone to that first rehab, and I had basically made the decision, but then I made the decision to, to do it again while I was there. But then that experience made me decide I, I never, never wanted to do that again. And that's honestly the the basis, bottom line of recovery is just making that decision and sticking with it. And what was your what was your typical day like at that at your recovery facility? Um, so you get up at six thirty in the morning, you go you have like thirty minutes to get dressed, then you go down for breakfast. Um, after breakfast you do like praise and worship and then you go to class. Um which is like a Bible study type of deal. Um, and then as you progress through the um, program, you do this thing called Ultimate Journey, which is like a three-month super intense, like soul-searching kind of thing where you write letters back and forth to yourself at different ages, which is kind of hard to explain, but it brings out some crazy shit. Um <laughs> Um, and then, like, on the weekends, we would go do fundraising. We'd go stand outside, like, Walmart and, like, ask people for fucking money. Uh, and we – I I was the jewelry box manager, which we made Ooh. jewelry there, and I managed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also the in-house rapper. <laughs> you were the only rapper there? I feel like – and I don't want to uh, – this is cliche, but I feel like uh... – a drug rehab facility would probably be full of rappers. No, surprisingly enough, I was the only one. <laughs> that is surprising. I'm actually, yeah. you must be a little disappointed. Like, you probably thought you were going to go in there and do some collabs. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even, it was unexpected. Because I had rapped before. Like, even when I lived in New Hampshire, I rapped for fun, you know? And then. Throughout, I, throughout all this, were you, like, actually, ma- were you making music and. Um, no, yes and no. Like, I had a few songs with, um, some friends up in New Hampshire, but nothing, like, serious. It was like we were getting high and making stupid raps, you know? Some of my you favorite listen- ones to date, but, um, still pretty dumb at the same time. Do you ever listen to them ever? No, actually, we've, I've, my friend from New Hampshire has been trying to locate, he has it somewhere. It's just like it's from MySpace days and shit. So, <laughs> like in the vault, he's got a he's got to do some digging. <laughs> um, so what happened at the at the end of rehab? When um, you came, so like, I, what was it like coming out of rehab that first time? Like, like you're you're now are beholden to nobody. You know what I mean? You're you're out in the free world. If you want, you could go get drugs. Like what? What was that like coming out? Was there like different or did it just feel the same at that point? Oh, it was totally different because at that point I had been stone cold sober, you know, which I had not, I mean, literally from, from the time I was 16 until I was 26 and went to rehab, I got high on something every day, every single day. So <clears throat> to be completely drug-free, you know, everything, caffeine-free even. Like, we couldn't even have freaking sodas there, you know? Um, 
it was, I came out and I was like, I hadn't listened to anything but Christian music. I hadn't heard a cuss word in over a year. I hadn't, um, we could only watch PG movies. So like I was, it was like I was a freaking middle schooler going to like a college party. I'm like, fuck, I don't even know how to act. You know, you just, I'm like. Cabin, you just screamed fuck into the air. <laughs> you know, pretty, that's what I wanted to do. It was, I didn't even, it was so, it was intense. It was like, it was overload, you know, and then it was like I was living with my parents. I moved in with them right out of rehab for a while. Um, and, you know, trying to go find a job. I had always just gotten waitressing jobs because it was easy to do drugs and waitress, you know. And then I wanted to find something else. Not that anything's against anything against waitressing. I actually did it afterwards. <laughs> but I love waitressing. But uh, I wanted to find something that, you know, made me. It, I wanted to find a nine to five. Honestly, I wanted to try that that life. And uh, the place that ended up hiring me was the first. I had been trying and applying at all these places, but I had like a fourteen month employment gap that I didn't feel comfortable explaining honestly at the time and I finally went into this place I was like you don't fuck this and so I told him I was like listen I just got out of fucking rehab and I'm trying to find somebody that'll give me a shot you know I didn't say it just like that but um, more, more along more or less and it ended up that the owner's wife was in recovery herself for alcohol and so it was it was a it was an amazing connection and um I think that place also helps me stay on the on the straight and narrow. You know, like I said, I got I got pregnant two months out too. So a month after I started that place, I was like, oh yeah, so I got out of rehab, but um, also I'm pregnant now. Fuck, <laughs> 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 girl, you know. <laughs> but they were absolutely <laughs> amazing to me, and they're actually the people that I'm getting merchandise through now. Like I've still kept really contact with them so that's awesome and that yeah. was like you said that was like a trophy trophy place right what was the name of it it's monarch trophy studio in san antonio texas it's like and the second the... largest trophy studio in the nation state of the art they do custom everything they're awesome what was your job there i did um sales so people would come in for all sorts of stuff anywhere from like sports trophies up to like super expensive corporate awards to custom, you know, die cut paint enamel filled metals. Like it was a it was a cool job. It was really fun. That sounds really cool. cool things, yeah. It's like one of those things you don't think about. Yeah, it was like it was I had never thought I would work in a trophy store, but it was I learned so much about just, you know, graphic design and how different things are engraved and um just it was just an interesting job. And you met like all sorts of different interesting people and they all had different interesting projects they wanted and it was neat. I really liked it. And what happened? When did you move on from there? Um, when my, Ooh, look at this segue right here. When my <laughs> sister-in-law. Oh, uh, look at that. Good. That was good, Nick. Um, that, I'm, I'm a natural. I tried to guide you into that without, without alerting anybody, but you just, you tripped right over it. <laughs> so Blue yeah, so, uh, so I had I had gotten pregnant, and my uh, my husband now <clears throat> was living in the town where we live now, and he had moved to San Antonio um, 
and we were there for about a year. We had when I had after I had my son, and then his sister got put on dialysis. She had just she has two kids. She's a single mom, and after she had her sec her second kid, um, my nephew King, her diabetes like really really fucked her up, and she got put on dialysis. So she does dialysis at home. She plugs up to a machine every night for 10 hours, and it flushes out her kidneys and her blood. And um, and then she unplugs in the morning, and she goes and works a 40-hour week as an assistant manager at a bank. And then she comes home, and she's a single mom, and then she plugs up at night. And she's been doing this for several years now. She's O-negative, which is a hard blood type and she's had several several people do the testing and they just um have medical issues themselves or there's something that's going on that prevents them from donating so anyone wants to donate a kidney <laughs> so yeah so she she's been looking for a living donor right for like four years yeah for a long time yeah like she's been on dialysis for five years i think and um on the transplant list for four she may have been on the she may be have been on the list for five she may have been put on the list when she got put on dialysis. I'm not. I'm not positive on that one. Is there just not a lot of? I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of kidneys out there. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought. I don't know. I guess it's a. I don't know. I, I'm. I don't know. Yeah, that's. Seems... I never thought that it would be this long, and I don't think that she did either. You know. I know literally nothing about transplants or transplants lists, but I would have assumed just from watching Grey's Anatomy that this would have been solved by now. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, I, I, this sounds horrible, but people die every day. I mean, she doesn't have to have a living donor. Actually, there was it was it was a really sweet gesture. There was a there was a young man here in town who, um, I'll just say he was. It was. It's presumed that he was breaking and entering and he was shot and he was killed and the family who does not know my sister-in-law reached out to her because they knew that she needs a kidney and they tried to offer his to her um but something he had something some unknown underlying medical condition that didn't allow that to happen but <clears throat> that's terrible so if, if so if anybody, anybody is O negative Correct. Um, well, so it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that's O negative. Apparently, with kidney donation, there's like an eight-person circle. So, they, um, I can't donate a because I'm an XIV user, but b because I used to live in England during the time of mad cow disease. Odd little fact, but I cannot donate an organ because of that, or donate blood. But um, let's <laughs> say I was able to that I wasn't a match blood type wise to her. Um, I could basically donate my kidney to someone else in this eight person chain and she would be guaranteed a kidney. I never explained this well enough. But <laughs> it goes goes through eight people. Basically and... basically I, I've seen or I've I've watched again just on T V, I think I know what you're talking about, is where like if I have a friend who has a kidney that's going to fit you and your kidney will fit me, we can yeah. essentially swap. Exactly. It's like a swap meet of the kidneys. <laughs> yeah. It's like a really gory trading card. 
Exactly. Intense and surgical swap meet. Wow. So that was that was uh, that was that was quite the segue. It was. <laughs> and that worked out well. So you were making music this whole time while you were. When did you start making music? Well, I really, I started when I was in New Hampshire. Um, and then when I was living in Texas before rehab and stuff, I, my husband now, we were friends then. I went to high school with him. And he's a rapper. And he was in with a little rap group, and they had a little studio. And I started rapping with them. So I have a few songs recorded with them from back in my party days, which I probably will never release because that is embarrassing. Um <laughs> But then when I went to rehab, obviously, you know, it's a Christian rehab, and I had mentioned rapping, and the director there was, like, hella cool, and she's like, make up a rap about Jesus, you know? I'm like, okay, <laughs> get down with that. So I did, and that's how the song that blew up on TikTok came about. I actually recorded that while I was in rehab. She had, they had me perform it at this retreat um, where the men and women's campuses came together, and... I performed it, and this guy at the men's campus was a rapper and a producer, and he talked to the staff at my campus and was like, hey, can I come do a track with her? So he brought his whole studio down to the rehab and recorded that in the closet. That's that's unbelievable. And that's your song, Turn Up? Turn It Up, yep. And then there's another one called Drafted that I did with a girl that was also in rehab with me. She sings the chorus, and then I do the rapping. Um, and both of those are on SoundCloud. So we'll, we'll look it up. Turn it up and drafted. And on YouTube. Yep, and YouTube. Drafted's not on YouTube, but I'm working on that one. Hopefully, I'm, I'm, I've got a music video in the works. <laughs> I can't Hopefully wait to see it. Soon. <laughs> um, it's a trip to say that. <laughs> do you ever talk to the people that you, like, were partying with or that you used to, like, be real deep in with? No. Um, I... I cut off ties completely with my old roommate, the the guy that I used with, um, did heroin with, um, mainly at my parents' request, but also it's it's just, there's no point. Um, our whole relationship was based off of, and friendship was based off of drugs, and there's just no point in going back to that. Um, and then, I mean, there's a few people that I'll, I'll touch base with, but for the most part, I have all new people. I don't I, – I think I realized that a lot of those people were not my friends. Like, we hung out together. We had fun together, but they weren't my friends. We, I couldn't have a serious conversation with them, like, a heart-to-heart, you know? Yeah. So it was like, what's the point, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Are you afraid ever that you might fall back or you might slip up or – not anymore. Um, I was, like, the first couple years out, um, especially after I had my – not especially after I had my son, but after I had my son, I still had, you know, there were still a few times um, where I kind of questioned, like, you know, I don't know. But now it's not even a question. I – honestly, I, I can't fathom ever being able to look my son in the face after doing that. You know, I – I, it's more than just me at this point. I could never do that to him. So at the end of the day, no matter how I feel, no matter how low I get, like, that's just not an option anymore. It's just not something I want for myself or him or anybody around me, you know? 
do you are you open about your pat? Well, your son's young now, but when the time when he is a little older, will you be open about your experience and and what happened? A hundred percent. Um, I think that, like I said, you know, I don't blame my parents at all for my drug use, but I think had had I had a more open con an actual conversation about it, about why not to do it, what the consequences are. And in my parents' defense, my parents have never done drugs. So they, I mean, why would they feel the need to have that conversation? To them, it wasn't even a thing. To me, as somebody that's been through that, I feel like it's a very important thing to have a discussion with him and let him know that, obviously, I don't ever want him to go down that path, but if he ever did, he can always come to me, and I will always be honest with him about my experience with it, and I can't get mad. That would be hypocritical of me. You know, I just hope that I can be honest enough about the pain and the suffering that I went through, so much so that he doesn't ever want to even even risk it, you know? That's good. I, I think um, I had never actually really thought about it until you just said that, but myself growing up too, I mean, I was, you know, I guess you would call it fortunate enough to know, have known people my whole life who suffered from, you know, substance abuse issues. Um, so I was able to see that. But I think a lot of the message always was in school and stuff, just don't do it. Not these are the consequences, these are the reasons you shouldn't. It was just don't. Yeah. Uh, and and one thing I think they need to change big time in schools. I think, I mean, obviously you don't need to be graphic about details and things, but I think there needs to be much more emphasis on there are major consequences to, to this and on many levels and it's not just you can get in trouble with the law. You know, you can, you can destroy your life, other people's lives, like much more than just don't do it, you know? Yeah. Completely. I, I I think that's a really good point that I think, uh, I mean, maybe who knows? I mean, I'm old as, I'm old as fuck now, so they probably changed all that anyway, but <laughs> they're, pro they're probably like, yeah, Nick, we're way ahead of you. No, just kidding. No, no one actually listens to this. So there's like three people listening to this right now. So, um, none of them are, none of them are, are in charge of drug in school. <laughs> um, Oh no! My cat, my cats. I have two cats, and they are like very noisy. And I like try and keep walking away to the other side of the house, and they keep following me. And they kind of walk away again, and they're following me because they're so noisy. Um, yeah, I know, but they're very noisy, and they and they're honestly they're not great conversationalists. They just say the same thing over again, like there's a lot of meows. Yeah, they're just like meow, 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 you know. It's just, it's not very entertaining. Um, so where can people find you? So um, the majority of my content, like pretty much everything I do goes on TikTok for sure. And then from TikTok, um, I'm on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Slim Jimette. So it's like Slim Jim and then... E T T E, but all together. <laughs> Which is the best, the best name, and it's so perfect for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was so random too. Like it was one of those things. But like I used to go by Lolo, and 
I don't know. I'm I just don't feel like a Lolo anymore. I don't know. And I was I was trying to figure <laughs> out a name on TikTok, and I had been following this page on Facebook that like calls people Jimettes. I don't know. It's it's this whole thing, and I was like, oh, Slim Jimette. And then it fuck. I was like, this is fucking great. This is the best name ever. And look where it has gone. <laughs> I know it's it's insane because I mean, like I feel like a, like following you on. It sounds so ridiculous because I'm like a, like I said I'm a 32 year old man, and here I am on TikTok, you know, um, and like Instagram, like here we are just talking about like Instagram, but it's, it's so weird to like see how much you've blown up and like I, I mean honestly like thinking back like I'm not surprised like if I could think of anybody who was gonna grow up and be famous it definitely would have been you, but it's just oh, funny oh. that it's it's just weird to like see it happening you know, in real time. It's very strange. You can fucking feel it happening, Nick. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, well, like, you jumped from 10,000 followers like, to 100,000 followers in one night or something insane, didn't you? Dude, it's fucking crazy. I remember my dad's birthday is June 22nd, and I remember being like, I just want to get to 1,000 followers on June 22nd so my dad will shut up because he was like, make it fun of me for being on TikTok. And I got to the 1,000 followers. And then, like, I put that song up, and I was, like, at 100,000 within a couple of days. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Okay, TikTok. <laughs> and then it's just, it's just been exponential from there. Like, my phone has not stopped going off with notifications. Like, sometimes it's overwhelming, and I start to get frustrated. I'm like, oh, my God, what are you getting frustrated about? Like, this is awesome, you know? Like, but it's, it's kind of getting overwhelming. I can't. I can't comment back like I want to because I just just keep coming. <laughs> it's amazing, but man, it's crazy. Yeah, must, do do you find that the majority of people are like positive? Are there a lot of like? Yes. Oh my God, the love over there. I mean, of course there there's trolls. There's people that have left ugly comments, but like before I even have a chance to defend myself, people are up there defending me, and they're like, "This is TikTok." we're nice to each other. Go back to Facebook. And like, you know, just, I'm like, okay, take care of them for me. Thank you. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, that's one platform I just haven't really been able to get onto. Like I, I watch it and I'm like, one, I don't like, they like, you kind of need to listen to sound and like, I'm never anywhere where I can actually listen to stuff. Like I pretty much read, I read a lot. Uh-huh. And, uh, so like that's why I use, you know, the apps and, or the uh, whatever the plat social media platforms I use are mostly visual, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, that kind of medium. So like getting used to like having to have sound on, is weird. I I honestly I don't think I'm gonna be able to. But I don't like. Yeah, no. Like my sister and her husband would send me TikToks for like months before I actually downloaded the app, and I was like, <laughs> these are funny, you know, but I didn't want to download the app, and then. I don't know, one day I was at work, and I I work front desk at a hotel, and it's fucking hella quiet in there sometimes, and sometimes we're just dead, and I have nothing to do, and so I was like, I'll download this TikTok they're talking about, and then I just, I got into the filters, because the filters are fucking hilarious, and then I just, I, just, I got lost in TikTok world, it, I went down the hole, I went That's down awesome. the black hole. That's awesome, I mean, it, it it is definitely just like, you know, the early days of Snapchat, or of, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, where, like, I know your organic reach right now is just absurd. Like, 
Um, you know, like I've posted a couple of videos over there. Some of my videos have gotten like a hundred over a hundred thousand views, which uh-huh. is just which is stupid. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I have like two hundred followers over there, and I have like, you know, I, I we have like twenty one thousand on Instagram, and I'll get like six thousand views over there, and I just got like a hundred thousand views. Like that's it's like unbelievable. Like it almost feels made up. It honestly like. Just think like a hundred thousand people saw that. You know what I mean? It just it feels like it's just not real. <laughs> That's how I feel. Like when sometimes when I wake up and I look at like like my follower count, you know, and I'm I'm doing the math and I'm like, no fucking way. Like there's there's no fucking way that like twelve hundred people in the past seven fucking hours have follow and like my like what the fuck, you know? And I'm like, no, no, it's 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 really happening. This is really happening. <laughs> what are your What are your plans? Like your future plans? Do you have any? Or are you just kind of like riding the wave? What's going on? Yeah, I'm kind of riding the wave. I definitely. I mean, I have a lot of other songs written, so I'm definitely trying to get into the studio. Um, not all of what I write, and that's that's something that I've been trying to clarify. Like the song that I released on TikTok that blew up is a Christian rap song. I wrote that song while I was in rehab. I still am a Christian. I mean. But not everything that I write is specifically about God. And I think some some people can't handle that. Some people can't handle the fact that I wrote a Christian rap song and I dropped the F-bomb like it's my first name. But it is what it is. And um, so I definitely want to record more of my, my music. And then I would fucking love to, like, be on SNL or something. Like, I've always been goofy and I like I love to laugh. And I like to make people laugh. So anything that relates to any of those things, I'm I'm all in for, you know? Like I could definitely see you like when all this when all this COVID stuff clears up, like I could totally see you going into schools and talking with kids. And I would that would be so that would be so gratifying to me too. Like to just you know, because I think a lot of kids are missing that. They just they just want somebody to talk to them and be real with them. And I think that that could solve a lot of issues honestly if somebody think, just has a real conversation with somebody i think that could be you i think you could be that person well i would love to be that person and i just i just need to figure out how to how to because I, I think also i'm kind of all over the place like, I, like yeah I'm, I'm rap i'm a rapper and then you know i work front desk at a hotel but i'm also taking real estate classes <laughs> and you know i'm weird as fuck and I make faces <laughs> and I do weird things and it's just like I'm kind of just you know I think that's another reason why I have so many followers is because I think people can just relate to something of what I'm doing you know like they either relate to the rap part or the Christian part or the funny part or the front desk customer service part you know it's like <laughs> it's working I don't know yeah I mean it's definitely working I I think just I've been on the you know I I have was a very early adopter of the internet I've been on the internet for pretty much my whole life um mm. and I think that the thing about the internet is that the internet always finds it when people are lying um and when people aren't being themselves and it sniffs it out and it smashes that um yep. the internet is the ultimate place where if you're you know you can't fake it till you make it you have to be yourself and you just have to be honest um and I think that that's, you know, your honesty is what resonates with people. Because you're, you're obviously you. You're not trying to be someone you're not. 
For sure. And I don't know if I said this before or after you started recording, but um, I think that honest, being being ugly, honest, and just open about recovery is what has helped me stay in recovery, a big part of it. Um, I think too many people are ashamed to talk about their past, and I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. Like, if you're if you're trying to do better, that's something to be proud of. Even if you're still using, if you're just trying to be better than you were the day before, like, <clears throat> that's really the ultimate goal, you know? It's not going to all happen at once. It's baby steps, you know? And um, I think people just need to be more, more honest about their story and who they are and their struggles, and I think more people could relate to more people if we were all just more fucking honest about shit. You know, everybody has shit. Everybody. Every single person has something crazy going on that other people don't know about. And we'd all just be a little bit nicer, you know? And just I think if we could all if we could all be honest like you are honest, then I think we would find that most of us have a lot more in common than we realize. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's an awesome note to end this call on. Oh my gosh. Yes, me too. <laughs> this was amazing. Like this was the coolest. This was really awesome. This was amazing for me, too. It's been so awesome to catch up with you. I, uh, you know, like we've been talking back and forth online and stuff, but it's just, it's been really awesome to hear your voice. Same here, man. I miss you so much. I miss you, too. But we're definitely going to keep in, in constant communication now. Oh, for sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Go check out uh, Slim Jimette on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere. Okay. Goodbye. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for giving this episode a listen. I hope that you found Lauren's uh, story as good as I did. And if you could do me a favor and go give her a follow and a like on whatever social media platform you're using, I would really appreciate it. And I know she would too. Um, Yeah. Thank you very much.